uh, raise your hand and we will uh, get a, uh, here you go, right here. Uh, if anybody else needs one, raise your hand, we'll get, have the ushers get one to you. In the meantime, if you would, just turn to the people around you on either side and wish them a Merry Christmas and welcome them to this place. Let's all stand up and um, sing about our Lord together.
Merry Christmas. My name is Michelle LeBeau, and I have the great privilege and blessing to be uh, serving here in this church as the Director of Community Life. And I have an extreme uh, honor to serve with such amazing people on our staff, including Natalie Breyer. Natalie, will you come up here for a second? Um, uh, earlier in planning this service, we were all talking about which character in the Nativity we most identified with. And um, Natalie said she identified most with the shepherds. So will you share with us, Natalie, what that means to you? Hi, I'm Natalie. Sorry, I'm really sick, so just bear with me. Um, but I love thinking about shepherds, and when I think about um, the life of a shepherd, um, I think of someone who guides, who cares for their flock, who tends to their sheep, uh, who go after the one that's lost. Um, and I can imagine the life of a shepherd is messy because sheep messy animals and so um, I think this is a really beautiful picture for what we get to do as followers of Jesus we get to be shepherds um, and maybe you can think of someone in your life who shepherded you who guided you who cared for you I know I personally had two women growing up who stepped into my messy high school and college years and they cared for me and they helped me see what God was doing in my life despite the circumstances um, and they cared for my fears and my my questions and my insecurities Three years ago, I kind of felt this tug on my heart that God was calling me to maybe be a shepherd uh, to some young kids. I didn't feel like I had much to offer or that I was um, totally adequate, but I felt like he was calling me to something. Uh, so for the last three years, I've been able to just step into the lives of junior hires here. I see you. Front row. What's up? Good job. Um, and they have just been the biggest blessing. Uh, they have cared for me and taught me things about Jesus and who I am. Um, and it's just been a blast, and I love being a part of this family. So uh, my question, I guess I can leave you, is uh, this year, who are you caring for? Uh, who are you tending to? Uh, who in your life needs a shepherd, and could that shepherd be you? Thank you so much. All right. We're going to need you guys help on this song. You can sit if you want. You can stand if you want. Whatever it is, you've got to start clapping with us.
roots. Literally, no roots. So Mary and Joseph walked away sadly, but then he said, The only place in here in Bethlehem, here in that, that you can stay, stay is the stable. And then he just pointed the way and they followed. When the shepherds were people here, they saw the angels. The angels said, A new baby is was unexpected. <laughs> oh gosh, well that's our theme, an unexpected delivery and you just heard it delivered unexpectedly. That was quite the story. But how would you describe the Christmas story in three minutes? I mean I thought they did a good job, didn't they? Describing, telling the Christmas story in, in just a little over three minutes. Uh, it, you see it's an unexpected delivery for everybody in the story. Everybody was caught off guard. But then you have to ask the question, well, how could that be? I mean, because after all, wasn't Israel's identity and history all about expecting God to deliver? Their whole history, everything they did, every time they gathered for worship, they anticipated the Messiah. They talked about what he would be like. Everybody memorized scripture that gave them the hope of that promise. And yet, everybody seemed to be caught off guard. But they should have been expecting that because God was the one who delivered a nation out of a childless couple. Do you remember that? Sarah and Abraham. Unexpected delivery. It's not possible for us to have a child, but they did. And that child grew into a nation. God delivered to them a promised land. They expected it, but they didn't expect it to the point that when they got there, they turned around and walked around in the desert for 40 years. But God delivered it, even though for them it was unexpected. It was filled with giants, and they were freaked out when they saw it. God delivered them from consequences for disobeying his laws. 
He said, trust me, it will go well with you in the land. If you don't trust me, it will not go well with you. But they, they saw that as an unexpected thing, that they were carried off into captivity. Then he freed his rebellious people from oppression, and they thought that was pretty unexpected. Wow, I guess the king changed his mind. Well, how about if God changed the king's mind? That's what God did. But they thought it was unexpected, and yet it, it had been promised. And God said, I will be with you and for you if you simply trust me. Then God was the one who delivered the world through that promised Messiah King that they had been anticipating. And yet, again, uh, for them it was unexpected. For all that they had heard and, and received from their earliest memories, given to them by their wisest teachers, expressed in songs and sermons, carried out in fantastic pageants, special kinds of feasts, for all that, Jesus wasn't what they expected. And so his birth was an unexpected delivery. And because we can't get our heads around it, we just go shopping. It's too hard to get our heads around it. So we say, it's unexpected, it's unexplainable, I'm moving on. But you've got to agree with Joseph at the very end then, right? He's the best baby I've ever seen. There, I said it. <laughs> if you stop long enough to look at him, you say things you thought you would never be moved to say. I see him and I believe it. And so here's the big news. The unexpected delivery uh, tells us this. This baby was going to change the world. So really, it's not just that we're celebrating a birth. We're celebrating a king. And he changed the world. He came as a servant. He came as a prophet. He came as a priest. He came as a king. And yet, not just as one sent, Go give him a message. It certainly was that. God the Father sends Jesus the Son. But as we get to understand who Jesus is, we see that this is God in the flesh, in person. So the servant who came to serve is God himself saying, I've come to serve that which I created. The prophet who comes is God saying, I'm giving you a clear message about my intentions. The priest who intercedes on their behalf, who gives the ultimate sacrifice because he becomes a sacrifice, is God himself. And so when, he re when he's revealed as king, it's not a new, new concept. How did this person become a king? But you were always a king in our midst. How unexpected. But you delivered. He is, so, he is so exceptionally unexpected that that still confounds us. And we come up with all kinds of rationalizations for that. One of the great gifts that we give ourselves is rationalization. Uh, show me a person who can't rationalize and I show you a person who's not trying hard enough. Because that's one of the easiest things for us to do is to rationalize. And so when confronted by this confounding, unexpected delivery, we say, there must be an alternative answer to this. And so we spend all of our time looking after those, or looking out for, chasing after those alternatives instead of considering, maybe this is the alternative. Maybe this unexpected thing is just exactly what I should be expecting from a God who does the unexpected. So let me ask you this question. Have you ever had an unexpected event in your life? Of course you have. Of course you have. And if we had the time, what I would love to do is to say, turn to the people on either side of you and say, give an example of one really, really horribly bad, unexpected event in your life. And I guarantee you within a few minutes, we'd be in tears. As we listened carefully and identified with the pain, uh, even if it's pain long ago, if, if somebody said, I'm, I'm beyond the pain, but let me tell you my story, we'd be caught up in the pain of that unexpected event, an injury, an insult, a betrayal, uh, an illness, 
some kind of reversal in life, some kind of major disappointment that was a, a, a significant setback. As we listened, and you've done this if you're in a life group, if you've been in any kind of deep community, you've heard people tell the story, and you are so moved by it. But at the same time, if we made that transition into telling some of the greatest, wildest, unexpected deliveries in our life, some of the things that we didn't expect were the best thing that ever happened to us, we'd be laughing, we'd be shouting, we'd be slapping each other on the back, we'd be saying, that's an amazing story. So all of us have had that. Um, some really good, some really bad. Life is full of things, good and bad, we just don't expect. Now, every, every birth is a story. Uh, that's one of the fun things about birth. Every baby's birth is significant. And there's always a story, even if it's a mild story, there's always some great story. Every death is significant. Uh, because in any death, even if it's, a, if it's a peaceful death at home, there's a story attached to it. Um, this fall was, was, was two of those things for us. It was, it was my father-in-law passing away, one of, the, one of the best men I've ever known. And we thought he would he'd live longer, and, and he died in October. Uh, so three things, really. And our youngest daughter got married. And then uh, our youngest nephew, uh, excuse me, uh, um, a youngest niece was born. And, and to see the stories attached to all those events, all of them creating all kinds of opportunities for conversation. Um, and I got to thinking about this whole birth thing. Uh, our first child was born two weeks overdue. Two weeks overdue. And that was a, an expectant father. I had no idea that you could schedule a birth. <laughs> the doctor said, well, you know, uh, your baby, we didn't know what it was going to be, is two weeks overdue. And I said, wow, what do, you, what, what do you do about that? Well, we'll schedule a birth. W really? What do you do? Well, you show up at 9 o'clock at Hogue Hospital, and you go home at about 5 with the baby, basically. You know, it's a, it's a banker's day. And so, um, okay. And so uh, Janet... We go to Hogue Hospital, she checks in. At the end of the day, she has a baby. It's like, wow, that's awesome. So, you know, having done that, when our second baby came along, we were experts at, at birthing by then. We just knew what was going on. And so um, I came home one day from work. It's, it's in uh, July, July 8th. And it's about 7 o'clock, and our three-year-old and Janet, or, uh, Lauren and Janet are playing Barbies or something. And, uh, and, and I said, hey, how did it go today? And she said, well, the doctor said... Uh, the baby will come in two more weeks. Okay, great. So I'm eating some leftovers in the kitchen, and all of a sudden this little slip of a girl, three and a half years old, runs out in her bathing suit and says, Daddy, Daddy, Mommy's water broke. And now I'm, I'm overwhelmed by two things. How did you know to know that, to say that? How did, her water broke. And I realized she has no idea, but Jenna just told her, go tell Daddy that my water broke. And I said, really? Okay. And so we both run back to the, house, to the back of the house, and Janet's getting ready. She says, hey, we're going to the hospital. So a uh, quick phone call. We drive four blocks and almost don't stop the car and fling Lauren out in her bathing suit <laughs> to aunts and uncles and cousins you know, catching her. And then we sped over the six blocks to Hogue Hospital, pull in, walk in. And wouldn't you know, there's a guy at a desk handling insurance. You'll have to check in here and fill out some paperwork. In my nicest, kindest pastor voice, I said, are you crazy? This lady's having a baby. Get us a room at the inn, please. We've got to have a baby right now. You know, oh, okay, sure. You know, so you get her in. I go back, fill up the paperwork. And in about an hour and a half, we have a new kid. And we named her Megan, which is Hebrew for you. Would you hurry up? I'm ready to go get, get this on, you know, get it over with. Um, a colleague of mine, right about the same time, uh, he and his wife's timing wasn't as good 
because their second child was born in their garage in Irvine, California, um, which was great because it made for a very inexpensive birth. I can tell you that. You know, um, they just order out Chinese food after that, stay home and you know, watch videos. Um, but so here's the interesting thing about Jesus. Everything about him is unexpected. I can tell you this. If you know Jesus, you have come to expect the unexpected. If you don't yet know Jesus, hold on to your hat. Put on your seatbelt. You must expect the unexpected. You must expect the unexpected. See, we expect him to fit into our small understanding of who we think he is or isn't. Let that sink in. Because of our immense and amazing gift for rationalization, we try to make him really small. We try to squeeze him in to what we understand. And we have these expectations, though. And that's why people get angry at God. You're not living up to my expectations for you. Or possibly why they just ignore him. I've had expectations. You haven't fulfilled them. You know, we know that this doesn't work in any relationship, right? It certainly doesn't work in a friendship. It, it, I can tell you for a fact it will not work in a marriage. I have tried, believe me. Read my mind. How tough is it? The fact is, we have these expectations. And so we either ignore Jesus or keep demanding that he meet them. And so we're all caught off guard when we finally discover what he's really like. We're caught off guard. Why? Because he speaks with authority. He acts with compassion. He confronts evil. He welcomes all. You have this cardboard cartoonish cutout of him, and he just won't have it. And if you are honest and open enough to lean in and listen to him, you'll hear things that will baffle you and inspire you and humble you and move you to deep laughter and to authentic tears. Why? Because he delivers unexpected love and unexpected grace to people who are willing to believe it and receive it. Are you one of those people? Are you willing to experience the outrageous, lavish love of God in Christ? Are you willing to see your whole life turned around, turned inside out, upside down, and set right through his incredible grace? I mean, he delivers us from afflictions and addictions Sometimes miraculously, sometimes over a long period of time. But that's what he does. He fills us with his peace. He, he welcomes us into this life of promise. He creates a promised land in us. He gives his power within us. He gives a purpose to us. He gives us the capacity per, for perseverance. You know, one of the great gifts and, and important skills in life is that, perseverance. Staying power. That's what Jesus gives us. Why? Because he's staying with us. He doesn't abandon us. I will never leave you or forsake you. What's up with that? I mean, we ask for comfort and convenience, but then he offers us courage to face our deepest fears. What's up with that? We deny him, and he still comes back to us and, and says, follow me. We say, you know, I don't earn it. I can't earn it. I don't deserve it. He says, of course not. Follow me. Apparently, he knows what we need to grow and to mature. So he says, follow me. I'm what you're looking for. I'm what you need. We've got this. You and me together. 
And we see then something that confounds us and one of these unexpected expectations sort of things. He doesn't protect us from life. He doesn't protect us from life. Have you noticed that? That Jesus will not protect you from life. Whatever can happen in life will happen in life. And so by God's grace, our faith is not a hall pass from life. It's his personal presence in our life which makes all the difference. He knows what we need. He doesn't protect us from life, but he is always in the thick of it with us. And he uses life circumstances to prepare us for what we can't see or understand yet. Have you seen that true in your life? Uh, I got to tell you that until I met Jesus, I thought, as much as it sounded really neat to be married and and have kids, I thought, there's just no way I know how to do that. I had no role, role model for that. And it was so beyond my understanding of how anybody could do it because most people I knew didn't or couldn't do it. And so one of the unexpected, amazing things for me is to see that God has shown me how to receive and give love from him. To receive love and give love to a woman as my wife. To learn how to be a father to kids thinking that I am so ill-equipped for this job. To me, that's been one of the most amazing and moving and emotionally satisfying things. It's moved me to tears on any number of occasions and caused me to experience deep laughter. And with all my failures and and fears, there he is saying, you know, you can do this because I'm with you doing this. This is what you can expect from me. What you think is unexpected is exactly what you can expect from me. I'm going to teach you how to be you. There's no better version of you than you in Christ. You in Christ is the best version of you that you could ever hope for. But we're so scared of what that might look like because we have to let go. And you know, he's so frail. We sang it. He's meek and mild. I'm not sure he can stand the stress and the pressure. I'm concerned for him because he's merely God and, and I'm me. And I don't want God to mess it up and then feel bad about it. But the fact is, uh, he's not that at all. Uh, have you ever read the Chronicles of Narnia? Uh, better yet, have you ever had them read to you? I tell you what, if you haven't read them, uh, if you have to, pay somebody to read them to you. Uh, these are the best things to have read to you and, or to read to your kids. Uh, I have taken some of the toughest guys on, on mountaineering expeditions and in the middle of nowhere where you're stuck and you can't do anything by candlelight, have read the Chronicles of Narnia. And if you saw those guys later, none of them would admit to the fact that, don't stop reading, <laughs> is the feeling at the end of every chapter. Don't stop reading that. Uh, it's so powerful. So the Chronicles of Narnia, right? Uh, this incredible place, Narnia, and the Christ figure in the story, a, story, a series of books by C.S. Lewis. The Christ figure is Aslan, the lion. And you remember how he's described? Uh, he's, he's like Jesus. And, and one of the children now caught uh, up into this world, as, uh, Narnia, uh, from England, wartime England, uh, asks, when she hears about this lion, if he's safe. Now, to put, the, you know, to put this into context, she's talking to Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, being, being uh, cha- chased by a wicked witch. So this is definitely a story uh, for bedtime, you know, and, 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 and listening in around a fire or a candlelight. And so, is, is this lion, Aslan, safe? Lucy asks, reasonably. She's a kid. Uh, safe, uh, said Mr. Beaver. And he says it with this condescending, disdainful, safe. Kind of, if he was from New York, he'd say, are you kidding me? Safe. What? Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything? 
<coughs> excuse me, who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's good. He's the king, I tell you. He's wild, you know. <coughs> Excuse me. Not like a tame lion. Later <coughs> in one of the stories, Lucy uh, says this. When she, she's now come to know Aslan. And over the years, she keeps coming back into Narnia. She's older, and, and Aslan is now bigger. And this is what she says. Aslan, you're bigger. And Aslan uh, says, I am not. I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. Have you experienced that? That he's, he's wild, not tame. He's overwhelmingly powerful, breathtaking, and literally puts the fear of God in anybody who encounters him. But immediately they realize he's good. And not only is he good, he's the king. And so whether it's witches or ogres or anyone else trying to take me out and, and drag me down, he, the king who is good, will prevail. What do you do with a God like that? What do you do with a God like that? Not only was his birth an unexpected delivery, but everything about him is like that. He keeps breaking out of the boxes we try to stuff him into. Even going to seminary, even having an advanced degree in theology, the temptation is there to say, I think I've figured it all out now. I can explain everything. Instead of saying, you know, the more I read this stuff, the more I understand it, the bigger he gets and the better it is. And at the same time, I've got to say, I don't completely understand it. The best of all is that he keeps breaking us out of the boxes we stuff ourselves into. Do you stuff yourself into a box? Do you ever diminish who you are because you are so overwhelmed with the fact that I'm just me? Do you ever feel like there's no hope for me? It's not going to change. I'm going to disappoint and let down me, God, and everybody around me. One of, the, one of the greatest, saddest moments to me was, was, was as a young husband and young father saying, Lord, I have no idea what to do. I just don't know what to do. And it was like God said, that's good, because I want to show you what to do. And we'd already had this conversation. I just have a short memory, I guess. But God was gently reminding me, of course you don't know what to do. And until any person at any point in their life says, I just don't know who I am. I don't know what I'm supposed to be. I don't know what to do. At that point, we become alive to him, responsive to him. And all of a sudden, in a way that's counterintuitive, he gets bigger and better. And then we say, ah, oh, okay. Again, I've been learning this since maybe you're a little kid for you. And now you're old. You're like 30, 40, I don't know. And you're saying, I keep learning that lesson. Best of all, he keeps breaking me out of the box I keep stuffing myself into. Everything that I, I think that makes me less, he uses to make me more. Can you resonate with that? Does that not move you to tears to think about that? Does that not make you want to be giddy with laughter to think, it's not, I'm not too old to grow or to change? I'm not too young to start? No. 
No, it's an unexpected delivery at any point that you're willing to be delivered into a better version of you by a better version of him. So here's the beautiful and amazing truth about Christmas. It makes me um, have a silly smile on my face when I think about it. Just like seeing the silly story. Actually, the, the most profound story ever told, but in the most silly, wonderful way, right? Here's the beautiful, amazing truth about Christmas. God has unexpectedly come into the world to deliver us and to save us by his love. And I think it's safe to say that he's wild about you. The God who is wild and not tame is wild about you. So don't try to tame him and don't at all, for any reason, turn away from him. Don't let your failure be the, the, the pretext or the context for turning away from him. Don't let your projected, unexpressed expectations be the thing that caused you to say you haven't fulfilled them, be a reason for you to turn away from him. When you're in that situation where you're crying out for comfort and all he wants to give you is courage, don't try to tame him. Just trust him. Trust him. You know when you get that sick, nauseous feeling when, you're, when it's overwhelming for you? That's where he wants to meet you. You know when you get that situation, that situation where you're so embarrassed? Uh, I bet some of the people who were watching themselves read the scripture with the first video we showed, I bet they were feeling very uncomfortable. Anybody who is here, I want to ask you to raise your hand. Because all of a sudden, you know how it is when you first hear your voice on a recording or you see yourself on video, you want to cringe and go, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't believe that. See, that's the place where God meets you. And if you haven't been in that place lately, you're playing it too safe. If you're in that place where everything is held together so that you can project an image of being together, your God is way too small. And as a result, you're making yourself way too small. There's nothing more precious than a baby, except a baby who grows up. God wants to give birth to you as his beloved son or daughter by faith. And as much as God would say, like Joseph said, he's the best baby I've ever seen. There, I said it. As much as God will say that about you and delight in you as his beloved son or daughter by faith, he says, now, I will, I will so enjoy watching you grow up. So believe in him and grow up in him by faith. Faith is about opening your eyes, opening your mind, opening your heart to a bigger, better view of God. Whether you're brand new to this or you've been, been believing in him for a lifetime. But I can guarantee at every point when we feel like we've got to figure it out, our God is too small, which means that we are staying too small in the presence of our God. So welcome Jesus into your life and experience the unexpected joy of knowing him. After all, Jesus is the best unexpected delivery of all time. Wouldn't you agree? But what would you expect from God? He's good. He's the king, I tell you. So Lord Jesus, I pray for my dear brothers and sisters. I pray for those who have, have not yet opened their hearts and minds to you and come into relationship with you. Lord, help them to see that you made them to be your beloved child by faith. That they're meant to be part of this forever family by faith. That this family is a community that meets each other in a place of suffering and sorrow and experiences at that place the deep, deep joy, the abiding laughter of your love one day at a time, now and forever. That's our prayer for each one here, that we would not only come to know you but grow up in you, that we would be able to 
continue to celebrate and rejoice in this unexpected delivery that brings us together here tonight. That's what we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment, the ushers will come forward to receive our gifts to the Lord. We have received the most incredible gift ever of uh, Jesus, God's Son. And so what a privilege it is and a blessing to be able to give back to him now. Um, I wanted to, as the ushers come forward, I wanted to just uh, mention that uh, this is uh, one of those years when Christmas Day, as you know, and New Year's Day fall on a Sunday. So since we are all gathered here tonight, uh, we wanted you to have Christmas Day with your loved ones, your friends, and your family, or just to spend quiet time with the Lord. Tomorrow we will not have uh, a worship service. And then, as you leave today, you will get this little box. We want everyone to take one home with you. This is your New Year's Day service in a box. And our staff has put together a really cool way for you to uh, celebrate the new year together. And the whole outline for your service is in here, as well as some other little fun things. So all you need is uh, bread, is bread and grape juice for communion. Otherwise, it's all in here. And we just wish you a very happy new year. And we will be back together on January 8th. Now, if you are new with us today, if this is your first time here or you're new to our church, please fill out this Connect With Us form. It's in your bulletin. Because we'd love to get in touch with you before the 8th and invite you to join a life group. We are a church uh, that is focused on getting people in small groups to study God's word together and grow in faith together in community. And that's my passion, and I hope all of you will start your new year with that as your priority, too, to be in a life group. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is to give back to you now out of the abundant blessings you've bestowed upon us. Lord, you say that where our treasure is, there our hearts will be also. And we are, want our hearts to be with you. So we give back to you now, Lord. And we ask that you use these gifts to draw more people into a personal saving relationship with you. Amen.
Everyone got a candle that came in, right? If you don't, raise your hand and we'll get one to you. All right, you're ready for action. I like that. So there's a right way and a wrong way to do this. The wrong way will get wax all over your outfit and your neighbor and stuff. The right way is hold your candle up straight once it's lit. When someone comes by, the ushers are going to get you started. You lean your candle in to get it lit. Once it's lit, keep it up straight. Once it's straight, you're ready for action. We're going to all sing Silent Night together. When we get to the third verse, we're going to hold our candles up high. And that's fun to do because it lights up the room. But it's really symbolic also. It's just showing that darkness has no control here. Jesus is the light of the world. And we're going to sing this for him together now.
Tell me the first verse again, just voice. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon us all. May he give us everything we need both now and forevermore as we trust in him one day at a time. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And may you and yours have a very wonderful, blessed, and merry, merry Christmas. As you leave, as you leave, drop your candles off. Yeah.